going to share about in the first couple of services, we really wanted to, to look at the way Jesus loved when he was here on earth and, and how we as his followers and how we as people who are trying to understand who Jesus was or what the Christian faith is all about, how do we understand this word love and this concept of love when we live in a society that can sometimes be so warped and so hard to, to gather our thoughts on what love is. And so we're starting, or have started, sorry, the last service, talking about love never gives up. And it's based out of a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love by the Paul the Apostle. Um, and it, I'll just read it quickly, a, a portion of it. Um, from verse 4, it says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. <laughs> Love never fails. Um, and this scripture, as Joel mentioned last fortnight, is one that gets often quoted at weddings. We hear it um, when people decide to tie the knot. It's a beautiful passage of scripture and it's a great way of thinking, yeah, oh, I want to live like that. Um, but it's often so hard to do, right? So hard to do. Um, and even just reading that out to you, I'm just like, okay, and this thing, and this thing, and, and love does this thing. Um, and so we just really wanted to start off by kind of looking at that passage, but looking deeper into it. And, and this whole concept of Jesus's love, like what he came to teach us, what he came to show us. Uh, and how we as a church are hoping to grow in that together. And so, um, yes, we are a part of a larger church in um, Padbury, which is near Hillary's area, uh, about 20 minutes from here. And as a whole church, because there's five locations of us, there's a few of us, um, we have a purpose statement called Jesus Gives Life to the Full, and we are called to live it and to share it. And so if you haven't figured it out already, we're a Jesus church. We believe in Jesus. We believe that he lived. We believe that he was born of a virgin. Crazy. Um, and we believe that he, <laughs> he died on the cross for us as a sacrifice, as the only way that we could ever truly find connection with God, um, that he lived an extraordinary life. He showed us what it truly meant to live. Um, and then he ascended to heaven. He like rose again, ascended to heaven, just boom, 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 boom. If you want to know more about Jesus, we will discuss that in our small groups. <laughs> um, and I will in a moment go through into that as well. But Jesus lived this extraordinary life. He lived this life of fullness, of, of shifting perceptions in people and um, shifting perceptions in society. And we're called to follow his example and be a church that's dedicated to that, to living it and to sharing it. And I truly, truly, truly pray that, uh, that as we start this church and as we continue to foster who we are as a church, that we would be people who don't just believe this concept, don't just hold this value and this knowledge of what Jesus wants us to live, but we are people who see the other and recognize the other person and really shift the way we live as a response to who Jesus is. And so this passage, I won't go into it fully because Joel did last time, but 
it was written to the Corinthian church and the culture of the Corinthian church really isn't much different to our culture today, to be honest. It's still very relevant. Um, the things that were going on in the culture of the Corinthian church, we still see today here in Perth, in Australia. Sure, it might not be exactly the same, but this passage is highlighting the difference in our culture. So Joel highlighted that we live in a culture where our values and our beliefs don't actually line up, don't actually match up to our actions and our behaviours. In our society, we see that so often, right? We see people holding these values, kind of projecting these ideas, but we all fall short of what we hope and aim to, to work towards. And so I want to continue tonight on that thread and how we can push past that limited ability of ours to love, but really focus in on the lost art of hospitality. Hospitality, what a beautiful word, right? Hospitality. When you think of the word of hospitality, what comes to mind? I don't know. Have a little think. Food, right, yes. A delicious banquet of food in front of you, maybe. Um, I like to think sometimes of my favourite restaurant, Bivouac. Anyone been there before? Oh my gosh, you just walk in, you can smell the aromas. The menu's so amazing. The waiters just know what they're doing and make you feel so welcome. Probably just because they want you to spend lots of money on food. Um, but... Sometimes I think, yeah, of that fancy restaurant, the elaborate experience, the luxury or the, the aesthetics of the place. Um, or maybe you might think of um, someone that's really, 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 really outgoing and is just the life of the party and um, everyone's over their house all the time. They've got a roast on all the time somehow. Um, and maybe you're thinking like, oh, hospitality, I'm terrible at that. I'm an introvert. I, I crumble at the thought of like cooking food for somebody. I always burn my food, whatever it is. Um, but I want to focus in on the lost art of hospitality and in doing that, hopefully stop firstly and talk about this word because I think our culture has morphed this word into something that it's actually not. If you've ever read Greek before, anyone? <laughs> um, which is what the New Testament was written in. Specifically, um, a lot of words um, that use the word, sorry, a lot of passages that use the word hospitality written in Greek. Um, and the word hospitality actually means this constructed word called, if I've pronounced this right, philos xenos. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Tried to do the Google, Google button thingy that tells you. Still didn't make much sense. Um, but it's a compound word of two separate words. Filio, which is the Greek word for love, and more specifically, because we just label everything love, but in Greek, it's the love of friendship. So the, the common friendship that we find with people, that kind of love is that first part of the word. And then the second part of the word is xenos, which literally means foreigner or stranger or outsider. And so we get this, this term even from the word xenophobia, which is a fear of the other. Have anyone heard of that word before, maybe? Um, so if, if those are what those two words mean, we bring them together. Hospitality is a love of the foreigner, a love of the stranger, a love of the other. It's not an awesome roast that we put on. It's not a great playlist. It's not this luxurious, aesthetically pleasing experience. It's when we extend ourselves to someone that's other. It's when we look at somebody and we interact with somebody in a way that goes, I see you and I recognize you. And it goes further than that to say, I wanna be your friend. 
And so hospitality is welcoming in the other. It's not just going, hey, I see that person over there. Let's give them a coffee and then maybe some money if they need it and then put them on their way. It's actually welcoming people into our lives that weren't a part of our lives, that maybe don't even believe the same things we believe or see things the same way we see them because they're the other. That is what hospitality means. And so... We obviously don't live in a culture that fully practices that, am I right? (laughs) If we look at our culture today and if we looked at the culture of the Corinthian church, which is what this passage, um, the letter that Paul wrote was written to, we live in a culture of exclusion. We live in a culture that is fearful of the other, that has xenophobia in a way. We see this all over the media. Maybe it's portrayed even more to us through the media. Who knows? Dan, I don't know the media. (laughs) Dan's a journalist. (laughs) Um, But it's drilled into us that, oh, watch out. Like, be careful. Don't interact with people that believe different things about you. We have classes, races, stereotypes, different sexual orientations, stigmas, assumptions about people that are just bouncing around all the time as we interact with people in our society. And when we don't agree with each other, we either choose to reject each other, choose to disassociate ourselves with each other, abandon each other, or demonize each other, instead of engaging with one another and learning from one another, we form these safe little bubbles, really, don't we? And we avoid and reject anyone that kind of just rubs us off the wrong way. So unfortunately, I think the society we live in, we've lost that sense of compassion and understanding for the other. Because we've isolated ourselves or protected ourselves in some ways in life, we've removed ourselves from experiences and opportunities to understand one another, to get alongside one another, to see things through the eyes of others. And so tonight, I just want to focus in a bit about that. And how we can carry a different spirit, how we can carry a different perspective in life, how we can carry a spirit of inclusion just like Jesus was known for. In fact, he was actually rejected by religious people for. That he dined with sinners, he dined with the foreigner, people that didn't frequent the church. He spent time with them, he listened to them. And so we're going to have a look at a passage in Luke. And... Going deep into this little passage is wonderful, but the whole narrative of Luke is so beautiful if you've ever written written it. Written it? (laughs) Read it? (laughs) Written it, okay, whatever that was. Um, Luke is a beautiful, beautiful retelling of Jesus creating environments for the other person. Jesus creating environments of welcome for outsiders to change the identity of the outsider to the insider. And so we're going to have a look at Luke 10, 25 to 37, if you have your Bibles. Or we can maybe read it on the screen. Yeah, wonderful. Okay. From verse 25, and you may, if you've read this one before, understand what it's about. But this is the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? eternal life. What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's ever heard that passage before in the Bible? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Ding, ding, ding. This, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this religious expert in the law. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, an oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's a pretty profound passage of scripture. And if, like I said, you were to read through the story of Luke, there is many, many, many more stories like this of Jesus trying to shift people's perception of what it means to actually love your neighbour, what it means to welcome the other. But I want to just highlight a few things in this scripture, and there is so much to this scripture that I don't have time to go through. But in this story, Jesus firstly is trying to help us see that how we actually respond to people in society is important. Who we pass by every day and how we've built up opinions about their lives is really important. And how we can contradict what we say and believe by how we actually act. So very often we're like this religious figure kind of questioning Jesus in our head or as we're doing our Bible reading or as we're praying or as we're walking about our life and maybe he's saying like, you know, you should go do that thing or go speak to that person or what's going on over there. Maybe like we're used to hearing God kind of challenge us or maybe we've never had that before. But we can so often kind of justify our reasons to God for why we're not or why we can't love our neighbour. But when we come to him and ask him what he wants us to do with our lives, he's got a simple answer. <laughs> Just like this, this religious expert, he knew the answer. He knew what the answer was. It was to love our neighbor as ourself. But if we put our ourselves in the shoes of the priest or the Levite in this story, who saw the man didn't really give him a time of day and just kept on the other side of the road and kept walking through our journey. If we put ourselves in their shoes, instead of practicing what Jesus commanded, which they were very aware of what it was, we can attempt to justify ourselves, avoid being uncomfortable and put out. We can be blind to the struggles of others sometimes. We can place our needs above the needs of others. We can worry that people appear different to us or will harm us. We can assume things about them. So we can kind of stay in this category of just kind of avoidance <laughs> and I'll just go about my day, even though we know, like, that we could be somebody that could help that person. 
And I find that if we stay too much in that boat, we're just like, oh, woe is me, I'm the worst Christian ever. Because we all have those moments, right? Like, uh, you know, I love Jesus and I love following after him, but there is so many missed opportunities that I've had where he's given me an opportunity to help someone and I've just flat out ignored it or pretended that I didn't see it or, um, or felt like it wasn't my place to help that person. And so we can kind of shift then to the Samaritan and go, well, that's probably what I should be looking at then. How do I be this good Christian? How do I follow God? How do I understand how to love people? And we can go to that kind of solving place. But what I actually think Jesus is trying to get us to see in this story is to put ourselves in the man's shoes that's been unfairly treated, that's been going about his day or life and has been robbed from, has been mistreated, has been left for dead. The man who is the other, the one in need. If we truly stop not to go, okay, how can I be a better Christian, but instead focus on the other, we can learn from them. We can understand why they are where they're at. Maybe the priest and the Levite assumed things about this man that weren't true. Maybe the thought that this man would bring them harm if they interacted with them. But when we stop and we, we put ourselves in the other's shoes, it helps. And when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of this story that happened to me. It's a weird story. Um, <laughs> happened to both of us, actually. Um, a few years ago, we were flying overseas somewhere, um, and we were on our journey uh, back home to Perth, and we were stopping over in Singapore airport, um, and me, it was all centered around me. Um, we were on our bus trip to the airport and I had all the spending money on me. And we were, you know, with all our stuff, all our luggage, all of our belongings in the bus and we were clearing out of the bus with all the people um, and getting to our, our, the airport, checking in our luggage. And just after we checked in our luggage and sent it on its way, I realized that I didn't have all of our spending money and I didn't have any idea where it was and our luggage had just gone off and in the back of my head I was like, I think it's on the bus that we left maybe half an hour ago. Uh, and so I think we had a credit card maybe or we knew our credit card details or something. Um, but we were stranded. We were like in this Singapore airport for a good few hours for our transfer and no money to spend anything on, no ability to access any of our bank accounts or whatever. Um, and I think of this story because we were there, we knew we were going to eat dinner, we were probably going to get a massage from one of those places at Singapore Airport. Joel's probably going to get his feet eaten by fish or something, because um, <laughs> he does that sometimes, I don't know why. Um, but we couldn't do any of those things anymore. We were stranded at Singapore Airport, we could get on our flight, we could go home, yes. But we were so hungry, we were so exhausted. Um, and I think back to this moment all the time, well not all the time, that would be weird. Um, I've gotten over it. Um, <laughs> but it, it taught me a little bit in this, in this experience in life uh, about people's approach to you when you have no money <laughs> and you're really hungry. Um, I remember we were trying to uh, figure out if we could use our credit card details to buy a Domino's pizza online and get it um, picked up at the, the terminal or something, I don't know. 
Couldn't do that. I think we talked to a few air hostess people at the desk and they were like, oh no, sorry, it's gonna be too tricky to get your bags and get your money out of it and all of that stuff. And we didn't wanna lose our luggage, so we were like, we'll suck it up, we'll figure it out. And even talking to some of like the, the fast food vendors who were like 14 and didn't really care about our situation, <laughs> they didn't stop to go, oh, maybe I'll just give them some free chips or something. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we were, we were there for quite a few hours and we were probably really angry at it. Maybe Joel angry at me, I don't know. Um, never. <laughs> I was angry at myself. Um, and, like, just, yeah, just really interesting experience of, like, what we feel like when we're stuck, what we feel like when we've made a poor choice in life. Um, and, or maybe just something's happened to us and it's changed the way we need other people's help. And so I remember just kind of like giving up and just being like, oh, we're just going to be starving. We can't even buy stuff on the plane flight. It's not even provided for us because we didn't set that up beforehand. So we've got no food. We're just going to have to be angry at each other and <laughs> get through this. Um, and I don't know how it ended up happening, but we sat down in our chairs on the plane. And whether we were grumbling about it to ourselves or whether we just looked miserable, um, eventually the lady who was sitting next to us um, just offered to buy a meal for us to share, which was so beautiful, and it was the best meal of my life. <laughs> I don't know what it was. And plain food's not great, is it, Claire? It's not great. Um, Claire's a ho air hostess, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, yeah, I, I've never loved plain food, food but that night I did. Um, and I don't know what that lady's situation was. I don't know if she was cashed up or if um, that was her last kind of week's spending money. But it really taught me a lot in that moment about looking out for people when they're in need, first of all. Um, not kind of just wishing them well. A lot of people wish us well. Oh, sorry about your situation, but go on. <laughs> um, move out of the line. <laughs> um, but yeah, like stopping and seeing someone in need. And that's just a simple thing. And I'm not saying this traumatized me for life, um, that my life is terrible because this thing happened to me. But um, we obviously live in a society where we're pretty well off, that we don't necessarily go about every day worrying about what we're going to eat or whether we're going to have a roof over our head. And so sometimes it's tough to get into the shoes of other people. Sometimes it's tough to put ourselves um, in someone else's position. And I think when we don't stop to do that or we don't have opportunities where we can do that, we so frequently forget that other people are in different situations to us and kind of just go about our own lives. And so travelling around or having this experience stuck with me and resurfaces sometimes when I'm walking through the city and I see people who haven't eaten. And I'm like, sure, that experience of mine was nothing compared to this but how can I help this person? And not just how can I give them a handout and then walk on my way, but how can I truly bless this person? How can I truly stop and see this person and not just assume things about them, not just add up what I think about them, but how can I get myself into their shoes? And it is really hard sometimes, but I think that's what Jesus is trying to highlight here. And so there's this book that I've been reading and I'm not super far in because I'm really slow at reading books. Um, but I've been wanting to read it for a really long time and I finally got it on Amazon and I, and I love it already. But it's a book called Saved by Faith and Hospitality by a guy named Joshua W. Jip. And he's a, a New Testament scholar. 
And um, I've got a few quotes from him tonight, but this is the first one. He says, hospitality is the act or the process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of guest. While hospitality often uses the basic necessities of life, such as the protection of one's home and the offer of food, drink, conversation and clothing, the primary impulse of hospitality is to create a safe and welcoming place where a stranger can be converted into a friend. The practice of hospitality to strangers very frequently hopes to create relationships and friendships between those who were previously either alienated at enmity or simply unknown to one another. And so therefore, the biblical view of hospitality, how we should love one another, how we should look at the outsider that's different to us, is creating an environment of welcome where there's conversation that turns a person's identity that we thought we knew what they were like and it just shifts it from stranger to friend. Making space for people to belong, creating and addressing the false identities that we've assigned to people. Moving people out of statistics and understanding their stories. Viewing everyone as individuals that are loved by God just as we've graciously been loved and welcomed by God. Hospitality. And I think and I believe that our church is going to be a church that learns the art of hospitality, learns the true art, the biblical art of welcoming the stranger, welcoming the other. And so what really stops us? Sure, we need to get into people's shoes. Sure, we need to understand where they're coming from. But what still stops us? We want to love people, we want to help people, we want to see things from their perspective. But still, why don't we do it? When we see people that are marginalised, when we look at people in society, that society turns its noses up, do we naturally take on that same societal view that are projected on people? Why they might be in that position when we're confronted by people of opposing faiths to us or opposing beliefs to us, how does it make us feel in that moment and how does it make us stop engaging with them? This word xenophobia, which I brought up before, is a fear of the other and I think we need to address that in ourselves if we're ever going to try and do this. <laughs> our cultural norms and perspectives so often justify our lack of loving other people a fear of contamination, a weird word, but that fear of what are they going to do to me? How are they going to affect me if I engage with them? The fear of harm, the fear of rejection, fear of being misunderstood by association, fear of sacrifice, of giving up what we think we need, being used and abused, pride, the thoughts of superiority. There are so many fearful things that keep us and hold us back from engaging with people. But what I'm learning to understand, and it's a long process, but I'm learning, is that love shouldn't be withheld for fear of being seen to approve with somebody's actions, but all the more generously lavished upon people because we first have had that experience ourselves. When we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus as Christians, we have to go to that place of, I never deserved this. I was the other, I was the stranger, and Jesus saw me. Just like that beautiful song. 
Oh, so beautiful. Another quote from Joshua Jip. I'm going to power through this last bit. In other words, God's hospitality is no respecter of ethnicity or culture, religious traditions, social, economical status, gender, sexuality. Greg Carey has stated this well. Jesus' followers remembered him for identifying himself amongst sinners, sharing tables with them and appealing to them as heroes in some of his stories. They recalled how people confronted Jesus with their social impurity and how Jesus crossed the boundaries that divided the pure from the impure. In his mission to extend God's hospitality to others, Jesus showed no sense of fear of the stranger, worry about sinners' polluting presence, or desire to conform to societal norms. And yet, all too frequently, the often implicit attempts of the church to conform itself to the patterns seen in Jesus' ministry are stunted or overwhelmed by its uncritical acceptance of certain societal stereotypes. Boom. <laughs> it's a heavy thought sometimes, and it sometimes sits uncomfortably with us when we're not engaging in this. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know if that's for me. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Sometimes we have been hurt by people. Sometimes we have been treated unfairly by people and it's put us in that position where we don't want to engage, where we are afraid of what they will do to us or how they will view us. And so, yes, I do think that we do need to, as Christians, as believers, and as people use wisdom and discretion with who we interact with. If there's people in our lives that often cause us harm and put us in positions where it's not healthy for us, we do need to use wisdom and discretion. But sometimes I think we use that as an excuse to never engage with people. And so I'm hoping not to be fully heavy on you tonight, but I do want us to catch this. I do want us to catch the significance of what Jesus is calling us to live. I think we need to reflect on how, how, this, how this happens. And I think one way we can look at it, and maybe one way we can look at it this week, is who do we eat with during the week? Who do we share tables with? Think about the meal you've shared with people last week, or the week just gone. What type of people do you mingle with? Maybe friends, family, co-workers. These are generally people who we interact with, right? (laughs) It's normal in society to be hanging out around tables. It's unlikely, though, that our tables would include someone from a different socioeconomical bracket, another religion, someone struggling with severe addiction, chronic homelessness, someone with a physical disability or a serious mental illness. It's just interesting to go, hmm... When's the last time I had dinner with somebody who was not like me? Who was not in my general group? And I don't say this to make us feel guilty. I always eat with my friends. I always eat with my family, with my kid. My kid, I was going to say kids. But I guess I do eat with my kid. Ha <laughs> um, But... Generally, our life does revolve around these types of people. But I think it's really great to stop and reflect regularly and go, who am I inviting into my home? Who am I inviting out to coffee? Who am I going out of my way to engage in friendship with? And one way I think we can do this is 
It's through our daily commute to work, to school, to university, maybe in our interactions with different families that aren't a part of our normal circle. Maybe it's the public servants around us. Maybe it's the people we walk past. Who knows? But sometimes we can be so busy with our life, so on path to what we're doing that we just don't look. We don't stop and see uh, the people around us. And we definitely don't always invite them into our homes. <laughs> That's, I just want to help us kind of view that a little bit differently this week, maybe. Is there someone you can invite to your house that you don't know anything about? Is there somebody that you can stop and go, what's your story? Like, who are you? <laughs> Not like that, maybe, but <laughs> who are you? <laughs> maybe you've never engaged ever before with your neighbor. You might live next door to them. Maybe you hear them yelling at each other. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you've, you know, seen them through your kitchen window like I do all the time. But, um, yeah, like, do you know them? Do you know their story? Do you know their family? Do you know their background, where they grew up, how they... I don't know. Sometimes I think as a society we forget or we kind of maybe want to, but we don't really engage. And we maybe wait or expect that it's only going to happen if they're into it. It's only going to happen if they kind of make the first move. But I think that Jesus never looked at things like that. He, was, he had such focus on what he was doing. He prayed all the time, <laughs> listened to the Father all the time, but he still stopped on his journeys when people were there and in need. And so I just want us to think about that as a church community really learning the art of hospitality, moving away from assumptions, even moving away from those token good deeds that make us feel good, moving past that a little bit more and listening to people, getting to know people, 